You're listening to DraftKings Network. This message comes from NPR sponsor Atlassian. Together, some impossible things aren't so impossible. In fact, they become possible. That's why over 250,000 companies work together using Atlassian software, like Jira, Confluence, and Trello, to tackle a few of their biggest challenges. With a little imagination and a whole lot of collaboration, the possibilities really could become endless. Atlassian, for projects impossible alone. Learn more at Atlassian.com. Wow, you're saying Huberto wasn't a superstar? Huberto? Whoa! I think... Also, everything fucking happening in Miami right now is kind of, I don't want to say minute, I don't know, fucking grumpy ass take because I'm bitter because the team that I covered <laughs> didn't go far. But like every team is succeeding. They got messy. Everything's going on there. I think that does kind of minimize what's happening right now in the market. But what are you going to do? I mean, you'll take it every time, right? Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Too Many Men podcast. My name is Allison Lucan. And as always, I am joined by the effervescent and perhaps moving around, finding new cool places to live, but looking chic as always with the best cat in the world, Sarah Sivian. Sarah, how are you today? Oh, I'm fantastic. I The vibes are a little off. Oh my God. It's like raining in Boston and like it's eerie. And I thought the hockey was on tonight, but the hockey's not on tonight. So what are we going to do? Watch I, wrestling. Ooh. There was your Boston <laughs> accent right there in full effect. What are we going to do? Oh, I really? Do it. Yeah. It was like all in on we'll Boston. Listen to that back. <laughs> and of course, we would not be too many men without the person who gets the number one spot, perhaps more times than the person she's been replacing on Jeff Merrick's radio show. And that is the athletics Shayna Goldman, Jeff Merrick's bestie. Say hi. Hi. I know we love the bestie slot, right? Yes, we do. It's very impressive. All right, my friends. Well, let's get right to it. Um, Again, we have lots to discuss. And as always, this time of year, more and more stuff is happening off the ice. Sarah, what time is it? Bit-o news. (laughs) In addition to the fact that my producer, Scott Malone, did in fact live. Did I tell you guys when we did that, that I was seeing him that evening? Did I tell you that on the pod? Yeah. So he, he got, you said you were, how did that go? Well, I gave him copious amounts of shit. And then he claimed, this is the thing he claims. He's like, well, I thought you were Tom. Who's one of our hosts. We're going to speak. I'm like, why in the world would we go up when you're the producer? That's like the president of the United States going up to like a state of the union and saying like, well, I thought like my assistant cabinet member would speak like, no. Well, at award shows sometimes when it's like a movie wins, like the actor speaks because the producer, like they want to be the behind the scenes person. They're like, you go. And they just stand there like awkwardly because like otherwise people are like, oh, who's that? Okay, but then, okay, but then guess what? If you're a producer, you have that. The other, the people who produce our tremendous game broadcast, Ryan Shaber and Pat Brown, who are tremendous talents, had a whole conversation about who was going to speak if they won. So then he should have said this to us is what I'm saying. We're throwing just fabric on Scott. Scott, our friend, all because he wanted to elevate you and let you mm. have your moment here on the Allison platform. Have that. <laughs> no, yeah, none of that. Bad vibes only. <laughs> well, let, let's stick to awards, though, about other people. And this is an award that we didn't have time to talk about last episode, but we've had it on our list because I think all three of us are of a same mind on this in a whopping recognition. It's a little less luster uh, given the current state of the Stanley Cup final. But going into the Stanley Cup final, People Magazine, one of the big pieces of pop sort of culture, maybe for the suburban set, announced that Matthew Kachuk was becoming the face of the NHL. And of course the hockey people who can't ever be forced to think about things differently immediately got into a debate about how he's not the face of the NHL because Connor McDavid's better at hockey and blah, 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 blah. people. This is about marketing. This is about marketing your product. I loved this happening. I think Matthew Kachuk has been a breath of fresh in this whole run, not just with what he's been doing on the ice going into the Stanley cup final and off the ice and friend of the pod, Hannah Stewart had that whole tweet thread about it. And she is in, Um, media, new media, and in marketing. And she said, got a lot of thoughts on this from a marketing angle that basically boiled down to the people who are saying 
LMAO, yeah, right, et cetera, to this are wrong, at least from a locals in America perspective. I'm not saying Kachuk is the face of the NHL, but I am saying people's target audience is not the NHL's target audience. And they wrote this piece about him for a reason. I agree. Sarah, what did you think when you saw Matthew Kachuk get this honor? And why is this actually good for the game of hockey? Yeah, I think, first of all, not to be like America versus Canada, but him being American definitely helps. The sport has already grown in Canada. It helps grow in America to have kind of an American star in an American market. And I don't know, he's the first NHL player. I think I've ever been like, uh, like, call me. I don't know. I like, I think I'm like, he's the Beatles to me. I think he's actually cool. Like he's the first NHL player. I'm like, you're not, you're cool and funny. You're making me laugh. And I think that goes a long way in the mainstream. You know what I mean? Cause I know like hockey fans will simp over any hockey player for whatever, but like, if you're, that doesn't translate into the real world. So I think if People Magazine is doing a feature on you, that just says enough. We don't have to call him the face of hockey or the face of anything. As Taylor would say, call it what you want. He's doing numbers and I am into it. So I'll leave it at that. (laughs) Shayna, are you team Maddie Kachuk is the face of the NHL, at least when it comes to People Magazine? Yeah, like, and forget about People Magazine for a second. He's becoming one of the faces of the league. Like if we had to think about it right now, it would probably be McDavid as like the new guard, Sidney Crosby, Alex Ovechkin, I think you could put in that category. He's someone pretty well known everywhere. And Matthew Kachuk is one of the young up and coming faces of the league. Like I think we expected more players to kind of assume the role, like maybe a Jack Eichel or an Austin Matthews. And it doesn't feel like that's happened. But the fact that Kachuk is now playing in the U.S., having an MVP caliber season and happens to have, I don't know, a personality like he brings the spice, he brings the heat, he makes things interesting. Like you said, he's a, someone that like you're actually interested to get to know as a player when they show the locker room speeches. How many times do we just roll our eyes and not give a shit? His, I'm like, I want to see it and I'm ready to run through a brick wall for him. So he's absolutely someone we should be promoting as a face of the league regardless. And the fact that people highlighted him, he's someone that's going to grab attention for all the right reasons, whether it's you know, fans looking at him thinking he's cool, he's super skilled, or people looking at him going, wow, he's hot, I like him, I'm interested. Like, that works too. Whatever floats your boat, he's someone to definitely market the league around because he's just so damn cool and he's so good at what he does. Sarah, do you think it also is a big help to a market that maybe hasn't gotten as much respect or as support in the hockey world, such as Florida, that this is the kind of player and this is the kind of personality that's coming out of the Florida Panthers specifically right now? I want to say yes. I guess I want to see more tangible impacts on in the next few years. If what's his contract again? I don't even know. Uh, Seven years. Okay. By a million dollars, a million gajillion dollars. I was gonna say a million. I realize I say a million <laughs> like it's so much money, and then it's like I forgot. We're just poor people here <laughs> talking about NHL crowd. I love it when we're signed, like, what a cheap deal. It's a million dollars. I know. He is signed through 2930 at 9.5 a year. Okay, yeah, I think that's, that's, that's huge good. then. We'll see. Yeah. And it's like last year with the president's trophy, maybe they didn't go or whatever with the president's trophy, they didn't go on the run. We thought they would in that year, but now obviously they're establishing themselves as a mainstay and they needed one superstar. And that's literally Matthew Kachuk. Wow. You're saying Huberto wasn't a superstar. Huberno. I think also everything fucking happening in Miami right now is kind of I don't want to say minute, I don't know, fucking grumpy ass take because I'm bitter because the team that I covered <laughs> didn't go far. But like every team is succeeding. They got messy. Everything's going on there. I think that does kind of minimize what's happening right now in the market. But what are you going to do? I mean, you'll take it every time, right? Amazing. And, you know, I think it's interesting, too, that this is a player as people get to know him that this isn't, this is a little bit, there's a little spice in the story too, right? Like this guy requests a trade. He moves from Canada to the US. He does become kind of this revelation. Like he has a story made to draw someone who maybe doesn't follow the game in 
because it's interesting and it's compelling and it's got a little drama. No soap opera is just hockey, of course. But of course. Shana, what do you think is what else might be going into have having Maddie Kachuk? I am going to call him Maddie because I've decided I'm going to friend of the pod, Maddie, <laughs> help market this game. And and what do we need to tell the hockey people in terms of shutting up about this? Yeah, literally just shut the fuck up and try to enjoy this for three seconds. It's sometimes it's like, why do we have to litigate everything and yeah. like suck the fun out of it? This is something that's good. It is mainstream media picking up a hockey player. And if he was in Calgary, I don't think this would ever happen. The fact that he's in Florida, like here, unique hockey market. That's a fun angle to it, too. A fan base that everybody wants. I think when you look at like the Southern Belt teams, right, and we all make fun of like the Coyotes and stuff, I think all of us want to see these teams thrive. So if this is a way that can help it happen, why not? With Kachuk, though, it feels like he's such a good person for this because he's not just a super speedy and skilled player, right? Like a Connor McDavid, you watch a highlight of him and you're interested. But if you're going to attract casual fans, we know that like drama sells. Here's someone chewing around his mouthpiece, you know, walking around, acting like an asshole, stirring things up, starting fights with goalies and doing all like the little gritty things too. That I think is something that sells along with the skill. This isn't some fourth line grinder. This is someone who does it all. Like that's kind of what you need. And to have that paired with the personality, which he has, like, shut up and be happy. He's someone that can actually sell your game. He goes on the TNT broadcast and can keep up with the basketball analyst. How many NHLers could do that? Come on. Absolutely. That, that is going to be sustainable success for kind of the Florida market too, just with all the FaceTime with the crossing over of into the mainstream with like a people magazine and into other sports. I think hockey needs to do way more of that. And admitting that it's not popular and that that's okay and like laughing about it and Kachuk doesn't take himself seriously I think that is the crux of it all absolutely absolutely guess what when your business is doing well you have more than one person of interest to talk about in the greater public community so good on you Matthew Kachuk um Moving on, we have some other hockey news in the AHL. This is pretty exciting, and I have a little bias here, of course. But in their first year of existence under head coach Dan Bielsma, the Coachella Valley Firebirds are headed to the Calder Cup final against the Hershey Bears. They're already having fun with it. They're banning chocolate in Coachella. They're saying no chocolate because it's the Hershey Bears. Um, but this is pretty cool. They for need Hershey's life. rival. Just start buying out Hershey. Who Who's a good rival for Hershey that you can just Reese's start like... Reese's PCs. <laughs> just start handing those out at the game. But they... Allison, I thought you just said no chocolate. Like chocolate. <laughs> but... Oh, no. You did not say that. No, I did not say that. <laughs> but no chocolate uh, for them. Again, this is really exciting. Um, we believe this to be the very first team from the Pacific Division of the AHL to make it to the Calder Cup final. Also tremendously exciting because Jess Campbell, who is the first full-time assistant coach in the AHL, who also identifies as female, is part of this team just a really great story all around. I know, Sarah, this was something that caught your interest, particularly um, because of Jess. That's when you've been able to spend a little bit of time with just how exciting is this to see the growth for the team, but also to see a different looking bench be behind that in terms of the coaching staff. Yeah, it's great. She's a badass. She rocks. And she just went in there in her first year. And now look at them now. I don't know. I, I think it's just awesome what's happening in Seattle too. Just the trickle down effects too. And I'd like to see maybe a story from our very own Allison or somebody else in the area just about the financial impact of the success that Kraken adjacent teams have had and hockey in the Pacific. I think it is a very cool thing that's happening. And that's like one area where there has always been a really strong junior hockey community and they've just always had the fans there and now it's kind of growing even more. So that's very exciting. And I don't know, anybody who's a Kraken fan should check out because there's a lot of young talent coming up in the rankings. So that's one of your best shots. Yeah. It's pretty cool too, because Coachella is obviously in the Palm Springs, Palm Desert area. And it's certainly not a place that players or fans or coaches are complaining about having to spend time. But um, Shana, obviously we are all very dialed in right now on the NHL game, but um, have you had any opportunity to have an opinion? Maybe not totally would be fair if you haven't, but just 
the kind of hockey that we're seeing. We've seen a couple of the Coachella players come up and play for the Kraken during the regular season. Any thoughts on what this matchup between Hershey, which has been a perennial strength in the AHL, going up against these Firebirds might look like? You know what? In hockey, even if we don't have an informed opinion, isn't it the rule that we have to make one anyway? But yes, um, from <laughs> yes, what mix I, it up. <laughs> from what I know, there's two things. One, I think that just like you said, it's a cool place to play. That there's a tennis tournament there, and it's like everyone's favorite because like the vibes are so cool. So we love that they have a sick logo. They have just a cool everything. Everything about the branding of the Kraken and their affiliate like is sick. So you know, points all around. But I think it's interesting because you have this expansion team that obviously doesn't have the years of building a system like other teams do. So the fact that they've made it this far is super impressive to me. And the other thing is we've seen the coaches from Hershey that was um, Carberry before he went to Toronto as an assistant, like come up as an NHL coach. So I wonder if we see this pipeline continue at all. And for someone like Jessica Campbell or someone like, like you said, Bilesman, like I wonder if this is going to be like a way to refresh someone who has more experience or build the experience for someone who doesn't, it just feels like this is a really cool opportunity. And I don't know. I just like that. It's someone different shaking it up. I feel like everything the Kraken did this year as disruptors, like I like that it trickles down the whole organization. Yeah. It's been very cool. So we'll keep an eye on that as well. The Thunderbirds have found, excuse me, my goodness, the Firebirds have found ways to really make big dominant statements in each of the rounds they've been in. So I'm excited to see what comes next let's continue in off ice news getting a little farther away from the ice and just reported today the first person i saw report this so i want to make sure to give them their due and i am not totally adept at saying their name because i've not met this person person to person before it is the chicago sun times jeff agrest who had the first report that i saw multiple outlets are now picking it up and rounding out the reporting on this But it does sound like Darren Pang, who had been a stalwart part of the St. Louis Blues broadcast team, in addition to being part of TNT's crew, is on his way to join the Chicago Blackhawks broadcasting team. It does sound like the TNT work will continue. That's from additional reporting by The Athletic. I believe that was Scott Powers in there. Um, But there will be people filling in like Patrick Sharp, who was there this year when uh, Darren Pang can't be on the broadcast. But this is a big move. Um, We've seen some similar stuff happening as a result of this Bally's foreclosure business where L.A. is moving to a simulcast on TV and radio. But this is a pretty significant transition for a big name in the media space. It's being reported he couldn't come to terms with his longtime home being the St. Louis Blues. Chena, what do you make of this move specifically? We'll get to the bigger picture of broadcasting in a little bit. Um, so two things. One, I think it's an interesting opportunity for Pang to go to the Blackhawks because it does feel like that's a broadcast that could use some consistency because there were a lot of like interchanging roles after, you know, big changes from their like mainstay uh, broadcasting team. And I think for Darren Pang, he's someone that on the blues broadcast, it had that like homey vibe to it for sure. But on the national broadcast, I actually like what he's been doing. I think he adds like a fun twist with Brendan Burke. And I think he's been doing a, a good job even integrating more like modern ideas and information and data into what he says, which is something that obviously appeals to me. But I think if you show that you can evolve with the times, like that's a good thing. Um, but it's a tough look that you can't come to an agreement on a contract. And it's a tough look that we're seeing that happen twice in a week. Um, specifically with Bally. So that is a problem that is going to, like that entire situation, I feel like, I I wish there was a really good primer out there for everybody to like fully understand what it means specifically for hockey too. And like why all of this is a big deal, but it's just like another red flag in like a long line of them since everything started coming out. See how I said we'll get to the big picture in a second. Shana said, that's fuck the you, single I'm going to go there That's anywhere. the single move. <laughs> I'm saying it. the single move makes me go like, this is a problem. That's all. I'm not getting deep into it. I'm just saying, you know. But Sarah, let, let's c- continue on that. And I don't know if you have any thoughts you want to share on Peng specifically. Please feel free. But this bigger picture, we're seeing, you know, someone who I thought was doing a great job in L.A. is no longer employed specifically for the Kings coverage. We have this move. There could be a lot more pieces moving around the chessboard, if you will. Do you have any thoughts just on the state of broadcasting? And even bigger, you know, last episode, you were talking about the importance of good reporting locally and and just kind of how this might shake things up from now a bigger picture perspective. 
It's an absolute disgrace and a shit show. One thing about Darren Pang is I know he loves St. Louis and the way he is respected there, the fact that they couldn't get this done. I mean, it does remind me a little bit of the John Forslund situation in Carolina, but it's a little bit different because Forslund, I, I don't know, there's, we'll get into that at a later date, but Darren Pang is somebody that I remember whenever the Hurricanes were there, Rod Brindamore and him would just sit there and chat for like 20 minutes. Rod Brindamore had his career start at in St. Louis and Pang was there. And it was just one of those things where even though Rod wasn't in St. Louis for very long in his career, it's like you always remember how that guy treated you. And it's always a familiar face around St. Louis. And it's just it's so important to the fabric of an organization to have these ambassadors, especially for a franchise like St. Louis or Carolina or something. And that's why they were so heartbroken when Forslund left. But like these broadcasters are put in such a despicable situation and it's happening across. I don't know. My dad's I'm not going to talk shit about my dad's company, but he had been working at a company for decades. And it's just like the way people are treated now is so different in this world. And you're seeing that with Bally. And I saw Sean Shapiro report that expect to see a lot of broadcasters that would normally be in these national roles or whatever, because of this Bally situation, go into a role you might not expect or regional. And it's just so shitty that things aren't really about talent or tenure anymore. It's just kind of about whatever drama these billionaires want to get into this day. Yeah, it's going to be interesting. And I'm actually putting this on our, our bigger picture agenda because she and I know you are very well versed in this space too. And I think we can definitely start talking about this more and digging into it more as things go on. Um, but there was one more big piece of hockey news that's happened since we last talked with y'all. And <laughs> last episode, we talked about Mike Babcock basically being assumed to be the next head coach of the Columbus Blue Jackets, but the Columbus Blue Jackets weren't done. Um, as part of a three team trade. They have acquired the defenseman Ivan Provorov, um, who is barely replacement level at best if you look at his on-ice skill set and has gained perhaps the most of his notoriety from being the first player this past season to openly refuse to wear anything supporting the Pride Night that his organization, formerly the Philadelphia Flyers, uh, were doing. So that's a turn. I don't know who else Columbus is looking to acquire, but this is all very interesting um, to bring this player over, particularly during Pride Month. Uh, head, excuse me, general manager of the Columbus Blue Jackets, Jarmo Kekalainen, was contacted by the Athletics' Aaron Portsline and was uh, reported to basically say that he believed in freedom of speech and that that was one of the beautiful things about America and that the, his organization would continue to support and promote diversity overall. And a trickle-down effect of this three-team move, we mentioned the Flyers, we mentioned Columbus, but the LA Kings were the third team in play. And it was presumed initially that a lot of this was to free up cap space to sign the former Columbus Blue Jackets defender that they had acquired at the trade deadline this past year. And as we record this first uh, by Kevin Weeks and now seemingly confirmed by Elliot Friedman, um, it looks like that contract is going to be in place it's been reported Gavrikov's camp wanted a short-term contract, and it sounds like that is, in fact, the intent with current, as we record this, on Wednesday being reported two years times just below $6 million per. There's a lot to unpack here, Shana. I'll let you pick any one place you would like to start in terms of a three-team deal that is making the Columbus Blue Jackets a really interesting story and maybe not the best one in what they're saying about their identity and their values. Should we just go team by team and start? Like, let's start with the Blue Jackets. Okay. They are committing to being the heel, which is so weird because last year they get like literally the nicest hockey player in the world and like Johnny Hockey, who's pure innocence and goodness and him and his little Nutella sandwiches. Like, how can we say no? And now <laughs> you're getting Mike Babcock which is wrong for a million reasons, <laughs> and Ivan Provorov. And it feels like this is a move. Thomas Drance was writing about the winners and losers, and he brought up a good point in the story how Mike Babcock likes to have a shutdown defenseman. You can think of like Roman Polak or Ron Hainsey as someone to absorb a ton of minutes, and Provorov can be that. I think he's been declining for like three years. I think he needed out of Philadelphia for all the on-ice reasons. Forget about the off-ice and that I don't think he was really wanted in that locker room rightfully so anymore, but... Could he in a lesser role be effective? Maybe it's totally possible. That happens all the time, right? And if he plays with someone young and active and mobile, maybe it could work. But 
you're swinging on pro rough as like a big bet when it's not like you're the Carolina Hurricanes that know you have this system that anyone can walk into and thrive. You're the Blue Jackets who struggled a lot defensively. And yes, much of that was due to injuries that you dealt with and you do need a Gavrikov replacement to take on big minutes. But this is what you're like, this is what you're going to take on for two years. It's a weird pick for me that you paid for this player to do that. It's such a big bet because they actually want to be good. It's two straight years of them picking out bad defensemen and adding them to their blue line thing between Gabranson and Provorov and they're bad to different degrees, but thinking this is going to work. And I'm like, shouldn't you be focusing your efforts on like a center, a real center, especially now that you're not going to get Bedard? Like, you know that it, it just... I don't know. Did everything go wrong for them? And now they're like, we're going to be the bad guys of the league and that's going to get us attention. I don't know. The Columbus bad jackets, who's to say? Yes, yeah, Sarah, you know, it was interesting to me because, and and I don't follow them as closely as I once did, but my perspective was that this was a younger team looking to start to build up. And so this move didn't seem to align with that, even if your defense isn't where you want it to be. Do, do we need to put more weight into Kekalainen's comments which ironically echo a little bit of what his former head coach, John Tortorella, said at the time of Provorov's choice to not support the LGBTQ community. Are the people who are upset about this move from an off-ice perspective making too much of a big deal or not enough of a big deal? Well, I had tweeted, can you guys just lie? I'm tired because I just want them to just pretend that they care. But at the same time, somebody responded to my tweet saying he has to say this because um, of like the new laws put in the country or whatever, like protecting people with their, or maybe it's in the NHL, it's either in the CBA or it's in the American labor laws or whatever it's in, but there's some type of rule that says you can't discriminate people against their religion. So he could argue that it was his religion making him do that. So I don't know. He could have said, I didn't like that. He said that, or I didn't like that he did that, but whatever but i i don't know i wish there was a little like i don't know even if it's like we want to do a victory lap for brie for trading him away we can't even do that because he's not being like yeah it's because he hates gay people and i love gay people but <laughs> i just you could separately say what you could do is separately say like i happy pride month to everybody there's a way around it if you actually care yeah, that's a great that's a great way to say it, Sarah. I love that. We you mentioned Steve Breer and he, you know, is it looks like that the Flyers are actively going into a little bit more of a tank as they seek to rebuild. And the organization has been upfront about that. So lots of positive votes coming from the greater hockey community for the Flyers. So there may not be as much to talk about there, but we mentioned, you know, just this recently reported Gavrikov signing. And, you know, there's been talk, as I mentioned, about wanting a shorter term. Let's forget the term of the contract and supposed that the cap might go up and that might be the play here by the player. Is this a good on ice move for the Kings, Shayna, to get rid of all these assets so that this specific player is the player that you're going to bring in to reinforce your blue line? You're obviously familiar with him, but is this the right move? He was really good there. Like we talk about how the Blue Jackets didn't have a perfect system that a defenseman could step into. He stepped into the King system and he was excellent there. Um, so I see why they'd want to keep him around. I think the the thing, there's two things with it. One, they should be focusing on goal support a little bit more. And obviously they have to figure out what they're doing in net. But I think that they're okay with that and they'll figure out a plan whether they acquire someone or keep who they have. I just think that there needs to be more emphasis on the forwards versus the defense right now. But then again, if they are keeping this simple and now this clears up, like everything settled with their defense and they can focus elsewhere, that's fine. And for the money, I don't think it's an issue. He's he's the kind of defenseman that I thought would look for a bigger contract. And that's they generally don't age as well if you play that like shutdown style. There's a lot of wear and tear. And I think that's someone that could decline pretty quickly. So the fact that they got him for two years, I'm like, you know what? I don't I don't have a problem that they cleared out space to have him for two years. I think I think that's totally fine because they have defensemen that can replace him in two years if they continue right with their development. Excellent. Excellent. Well, um, we're going to watch all of this continue to shake out. It will be very interesting. We couldn't get out of here, though, without. Wait, what do we think of the Flyers, though? They're the ones that feels like it. created this entire deal. As far as we know, I love that it was like before the cup was over and that it's um, the new GM making a statement that it's not going to be like it was with um, 
how lackluster the last trade deadline was. I think it was bold and creative and you got some draft picks and we'll see what's happening with Carter Hart. And they're committing to like actually rebuilding. I also like that they're like anyone that brings bad vibes to the locker room, you're out. See you bye. (laughs) Pro Prof, get out. We don't need you. That was the first move. I feel like it's such a statement. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Love it. Wait, are you gaming on a Chromebook? Yep. It's got a high-res 120 hertz display, plus this killer RGB keyboard. And I can access thousands of games anytime, anywhere. Stop playing. What? Get out of here. Huh? Yeah, I want you to stop playing and get out of here so I can game on that Chromebook. Got it. Discover the ultimate cloud gaming machine, a new kind of Chromebook. This episode is brought to you by Chevrolet. Now's your chance to support a team with real grit. The Chevy ZR2 family of off-road trucks. The first ever Silverado HD ZR2 joins the all-new Colorado ZR2 and the Silverado ZR2 for a commanding lineup of off-road ready trucks. Equipped to take on anything this season throws their way. Visit Chevy.com to learn more. This message comes from NPR sponsor Atlassian. Together, some impossible things aren't so impossible. In fact, they become possible. That's why over 250,000 companies work together using Atlassian software, like Jira, Confluence, and Trello, to tackle a few of their biggest challenges. With a little imagination and a whole lot of collaboration, the possibilities really could become endless. Atlassian, for projects impossible alone. Learn more at Atlassian.com. Well, before we get to the actual hockey that's still happening, we do have time for one more segment. Shayna, what time is it? Is it time for how does this affect the Leafs? I thought we weren't going there. It's sure. We didn't think we we could. We didn't think that the Leafs did anything. Oh, yeah, that's right. I and remember then now. And Sarah, in a beautiful, translucent, wonderfully creative, but yet so true to us move, you connected two of our leading spirits, the Leafs and Taylor Swift. Tell us what's happening in the Leafs world this week. Well, I saw one of the Taylor Swift Eras Tour update accounts that has a bunch of followers tweet, Tessa Virtue, like world superstar Tessa Virtue is here with her boyfriend, Morgan Riley, who plays ice hockey. (laughs) And it's so true. Like he is dating above his league. Tessa Virtue is an absolute queen. And they were at the Eras Tour all weekend. And one of the funniest Twitter accounts, Oily Gifts, who's an Oilers fan and makes all these cool Oilers edits, tweeted it, tweeted quote tweeted it and said, wow, another blonde wag <laughs> because Tessa's brunette and Morgan Riley's blonde. <laughs> I love it. Riley's obviously a good sport and I hope they enjoyed the era's tour. Dana, do you have any analysis on this? Um, I personally like that he's her, her plus one versus the other way around because she's such a star. Um, yeah, looks like they have a good time. <laughs> Good job, I have given given my take on the Eras tour. We like the outfits. We like the creativity. Maybe he should have had more bedazzling or more like chain or something to show that reputation or like, why didn't he have a snake t-shirt? I don't know. We'll work work on it. We'll work on it. We'll watch for that for our next segment. Morgan, do you want to go to Taylor Swift school with me? Because apparently we both (laughs) need it. Let's move on. Let's get to the actual hockey that is happening on the ice. Last time we talked with you all, our friends, we were headed into game two and we were hopeful for really good hockey. We were hopeful for exciting hockey. We were hopeful for a long series. I don't know. We got some stuff, but we did not get a competitive game after two games while the series is shifting back to Florida. That is true. They're heading back still in search of their first win in a dominant performance that was just insane. Vegas, excuse me, yes, Vegas comes back in it. They have that win. We've got the third time Matthew Kachuk has had a game misconduct called on him, the third time he's had a 10-minute penalty called on him. It's just not been the Panthers' night it was a 7-2 victory for Vegas. You lose Gudis. 
He leaves the game in the first period, does not return. They were going 11 and seven as it was. Uh, the stalls, I mean, what are we to say? Sergei Bobrovsky gets pulled and Alex Lyon wasn't that much better in relief. You know, I saw some interesting dialogue there too that I don't necessarily hang that game on Bobrovsky. I mean, wasn't it the March or so goal where he's literally like net front with no defenders in front of him for days? But I, you know, the point I was focused on after round three was how you see a really good team take the next step into the next round. And then what is it that the other team does that suddenly makes them look like idiots and completely incompetent teams? And right now, that is what Vegas is doing to Florida. Sarah, through two games, what has stood out the most to you about what's going right for the Golden Knights and what's going wrong for the Florida Panthers? The defense is returning to the shit form that plagued them all the regular season. And at what point, it's like, they had a good run. They had a good, they felt like it kept getting better and better. And it was like Bobrovsky was going to turn into a pumpkin. We all expected that. Right. But good for them that it was during the cup final, right? Like they got this far off good vibes and now the vibes are a little worse. Now Matthew Kachuk, uh, I don't know. I don't think you can get this many pims and be effective and put your team in the right place. But I do think the rat one was pretty weak. I, I don't yeah. know if he should have I don't had know. to get yeah. a 10 minute misconduct. Or 10 that minute one. on Sportsman, like if you must, but yeah. like. Yeah, exactly. That was that excessive. Was a bit harsh. Yeah. And I think we, none of us thought Bobrovsky was going to perform at the high levels that he did. So I just think it's, we also have to admit that the Vegas Golden Knights are good. <laughs> yeah. Like it's about time. Yeah, That's all I got to say. Yeah, for sure. Shana, you've looked into this series a lot more. We were exchanging some numbers earlier today too. And, you know, I still do think, again, even when Bobrovsky was younger, it was after that huge layoff after that team, the Columbus Blue Jackets swept the lightning. He was not as good at, you know, everyone wanted him to get rest, but he had so much rest in that layoff too, between going into Boston and after, after beating the lightning. I don't know. I think maybe we're having the wrong conversation about the right amount of rest for Sergei Bobrovsky. What stood out to you through two games in terms of what's happening between these two teams? Yeah, like maybe when we look at the Boston series, when he came back into play, I think he had, what, three bad games? Well, not well, three below average or slightly near average games, like nothing game changing until the Toronto series. So it, it maybe he needs three games to get going, but that they don't, they unfortunately don't have it. Yeah. But yeah, the conversation has to be like, for one Vegas has the book on how to beat him and that's take away his eyes. That's something we knew going into it and other teams weren't doing nearly enough. And now Vegas is doing it consistently. I think at least three out of the four goals in game two, maybe all four, I would have to go back and look, but I can say like definitively, like those three goals, like they got, you know, screens in front of him like Mark Stone was the perfect screen on that March so goal so you know it's it they have a way to beat him and we can see even in their shot creation it's all right in front of the net right in front of the crease so whether the shots are actually coming from there and it's tough to stop or the fact that they're coming from a little further out but the traffic's in front of him like it's creating problems and that's something Florida has to fix in that defense you know they're pretty lucky they're going to have Gudis back for game three and hopefully for them like he's capable of playing and taking consistent shifts. That was a concern before he even left game two um, because that's something like they definitely need, but it's not the only storyline to focus on, right? Like we have to look at what Florida is and isn't doing offensively too. And they're not getting to the middle of the ice at all. They're not creating shots from the slot and they're not finishing their chances, which was a problem they had all year. And we know that they can regress back and, you know, start converting more consistently, but it hasn't happened yet. One of the things that really came out of that game too, and we all started chatting about it right away in our chat, was that Matthew Kachuk hit on Jack Eichel. And, um, you know, I said to both of you right away, I was like, you know, it, it does look bad. But to me, that was, in fact, a clean hit. Um, and both players involved, and I didn't think either one was was just trying to play the play the game or walk the line. We know those are two that don't do that anyway. Both were like, it, it was a good hockey hit, and Jack Eichel was able to come back and finish that game. But Sarah, you know, again, we know fans are called fans for a reason, but even though it was really, really fast and really, really hard, did that hit give you any pause? Did you think it was bad for the game or miscalled and that there was a non-call of, of a bigger penalty? Or did, do you think that this is where the game is at right now? Or maybe should it all be changed, even if it wasn't a quote-unquote okay hit? 
I am once again asking Matthew Kachuk to call me. I, I thought that was a clean hit. Open ice. It's the playoffs, baby. I mean, I don't condone everything that he's done, and I don't know if he's done everything he could in this series, particularly in game one, to give the team a win in the ways he has in the past series. But I do think it's one of these things this Vegas team is so good at, tripping you up and making you focus on doing these big hits or like getting inside their head and then just they just collect the chances. So I don't know. I have to give credit to Vegas once again, but I do think that's a clean hit. Yeah. Shana, your thoughts on the hit? Yeah, I thought it was a clean hit too. Um, I think when you first see it, like you see the impact and the way Eichel like looked like he was hurt and ran off the ice. Like I was obviously concerned for him. And at first I'm like, what? You didn't know because it was, it happened so fast that you're like, where was the contact? You see his head whip, but you don't know if like where it was. It's unfortunate timing. And that's all it comes down to because of that toe pick, whether he was trying to take off and just burst up the ice with speed, because that's what he does to, you know, back in his own zone to try to get through the neutral zone and, you know, skating is something we shouldn't pay attention to. I've heard on TV, but you know, there it is. And the other part, I'm never going to let that one go apparently um, because I like to be petty, but the other part of it is maybe he was trying to avoid the hit either way. I don't think he anticipated that happening, but guess what? This is what can happen in hockey. And um, I don't think there was much time for Kachuk to change course either. So I think it looked worse because Eichel was going lower, but the initial contact was shoulder to shoulder. Like, even I don't I don't have an issue with it. It's different from a player skating into the neutral zone with their head down or a player seeing that the player has their head down and still going for the hit. And then we're victim blaming. I just think it was a product of bad timing on Eichel's part because of the topic, which is just an unfortunate reality. And with the speed of the game, like it was good to have. I think the slow motion breakdown was like the perfect one to see how it happened and what happened with it. But um Either way, I didn't have a problem with it. I don't even have, I don't have a problem that Kachuk tried to make the big hit to try to get his team going either, because I don't think he was like trying to be dirty. I think he was just trying to, like, if you're skating through, there you go. Like the ice isn't safe. Like you can't just do what you want here. But I, I didn't have a problem with it. I was very surprised he got a 10 minute misconduct there. And I think we're generally people who err on the side of caution with that and would say like, just cause it's legal, it's not clean or we don't like to sit. Yeah. I don't, I don't think it should have been a 10 minute there. So going into that game, all three of us were like, oh, yeah, I mean, this is, again, punch-counter-punch kind of hockey. This is that time of year. Florida's been so impressive. But they were wholly unimpressive in game two. As I said, you know, they get a a couple extra days here. I'm presuming that the just sheer amount of distance that these two teams have to travel plays into that, giving them a little bit extra rest, and I'm totally fine with that. But, Sarah, is game three going to be one where Florida comes back and reminds us of the team that got themselves here? Or do we think that Vegas is on too much of a roll right now? I think it's over. Like, I'm sorry to say that, but I just, I need to start being impressed by Vegas and consider that they just have the vibes that the Panthers had at the same time they have the talent and I don't know. I have to hand it to Aiden Hill too, who's been great in net. I don't, I didn't expect that. I thought they didn't have what it takes in net. Meanwhile, Bobrovsky was hot, but now it's just so crazy how things change. And it's like the narrative just completely flips. So I just am now thinking I, the Panthers have to make a comeback if they want to stay in this series, but I just don't see it happening. Shana, the next time we record, there will technically have been four games in this series, but in terms of game three, after game three, is this series going to be at two, one or three Oh, I have to think it's going to be two, one. I feel like, I feel like it reminds me a little bit of the Boston series where Matthew Kachuk was getting like frustrated and taking bad penalties. And then all of a sudden he figured out how to like channel that the right way. And I feel like that's going to be key here because he's such an important player. And I think the matchup game, you know, if you can free up Barkov and get him away from Petrangelo, if you need, and, you know, try to, keep Kachuk as open as possible. It's definitely going to help. And I think they can try to hide their depth a little better because we could see like the Stahl brothers in particular. Um, I'm sending my thoughts and prayers to them because they both forgot how to play defense. And it's really, it's really something in, in pride month that they, it's just gone, but like, they're really struggling. And Aaron Eckblad, I think is struggling too. And we saw in game two, like their numbers were cratering. And then the third period they picked it up, but like, we know score effects, the game was out of reach. So and so like that, that happens. And the golden Knights can be a little more passive then. And that's what they've done. So I'm not looking at those numbers being like, Oh, they were fine. Like Florida has to find a way to 
kind of hide that because if they're not going to get perfect goaltending, they can't afford those defensive lapses and they cannot afford Mark Stahl playing any extra minutes than necessary. So they really need Gujas to be healthy and good. One final thing I want to talk about in the midst of all this chaos and in the midst of what's affecting the game directly. And our chat text chat was going on and on about the hit and this and that and goalie pulls. And all of a sudden out of nowhere, the most salient point that Shayna takes away and she shares with us. So I will give you the final word here, Shayna. Margs are $45 in Vegas. I, I that, and it's probably not the best Marg. Like, I was, I was incredulous, like not for nothing. I get that drinks are expensive at events, but like, listen, a honeydew last year at the U S open was $22. That is a signature drink that you're going to get in a snooty place like New York at the most snooty fucking event around. We love tennis. Don't get me wrong, but like, it's so fucking snobby, a $22 honeydew, which I think peaked at $30 during Maybe it was like the first year they were back from not having fans for COVID. So they had to like make up money was $30 for a signature drink. You get once a year at one place, a $45 mark that you can get anywhere. I could never. Have you been to Vegas? I have not. Okay. Sarah, you and I have been to Vegas. Does a $45 margarita shock you? Kind of still. Yeah. (laughs) It was so small. Usually in Vegas, you are getting like, what you like said, Chana, like, like a signature. Of, yeah. yeah, it's either going to be, be a fine. huge ass drink or it's going to be at the chandelier. You get the little flower in it and stuff like that. You know what I mean? And even that wasn't 45. I guess they're really just. It better be the best damn mark. Yeah. Ever. And it would not look that way whatsoever. It looked like in a very small cup. I don't know who would <laughs> buy that. Line just, get beer, look as good. just get a beer. I wonder how much the beer costs. We need Weish to weigh in on this usually. Oh, uh, my friend told me how much the beer cost and it was expensive because she was like, I only could afford one or two. Oh she Because she, she, you know, she just is smart with her money. She was like, I'm not spending that much money on beer yeah, games. Yeah. But it was like expensive, but not it, it fit in with arena prices. But I think with beer, it doesn't that go through like the actual vendor. And then like if you get mixed drinks that they can do more individually pricing. It depends. It can be different. So we'll we'll bring you our drink hot takes. Uh, coming up here further, but we have to stay on our schedule and we're going to wrap this all up while Shana fumes about the way too expensive drinks that exist and play our favorite final game, which is fuck, Mary kill. And Sarah, you per tradition are our first candidate. And since Vegas right now is on a roll, we thought we'd see if we could be as lucky as they are right now. And fuck, Mary kill our Vegas con smythe candidates are you ready mm-hmm. here <laughs> here are your options jack eichel jonathan odie marchiso yes he still has the odie as far as i'm concerned and aiden hill take it away i have to kill marchiso because Ooh. he is on a roll right now but he was pointless in his first few games of the playoffs and I, I think you really have to look at the whole playoffs you know what I mean I think we get so wrapped up in the cup winner as we should but I do think you need to have like a, a huge zoom out for a second the recency bias is very real and it should be weighted more heavily what you're doing in this series but I do think that we have if we're looking at who is the best we have to kill him I think okay. I'm going to fuck Jack Eichel um I mm, it's actually really hard. I really need to see these next few games to see what happens. But I think he's been great and he's doing everything that some people thought he couldn't do in Buffalo. He's immediately proving wrong. And I think that's so badass and love that for him. I get to marry Aiden Hill because wow. that's the most unexpected situation. And he's had to be at the level that he's at for the Knights to dominate like they have. And I mean, you look at it and their offense is obviously the number one thing that stands out about the Golden Knights. But I think it's the confidence from the back end that really helps elevate that and separate them. I feel like the ending of their games and the scoreboard at the end is just never really like representative of the game itself when it comes to the Golden Knights. Shana, what are your picks? I think... I'm going to kill Hill, which is nothing against him because I think he's been great and I think he could be the difference maker in the series, honestly. But it's a process of elimination. I know some people are going to care about his games played. I don't. I think he's coming to the series and been excellent, but I think he's going to get rewarded with a really nice contract this summer. So good for you, Aiden. Um, I'm going to fuck Eichel because I 
also like I appreciate that he's doing this in his first ever NHL postseason when there were so many questions about what he would do. And I love the way he's been like, I feel like an offensive zone quarterback for them. I love the way he plays. I love the way he's been so elite in transition. He's making these scoring plays happen. And obviously we get more pop for the goal scoring than the assist always. But like what he's doing is so important. But I'm going, even with that in mind, I'm still going to marry March so because I think it's funnier and I love the narrative. First of all, he's come up big with really timely goals and scoring. Yes, a lot of it's set up by Eichel, so credit to them both. But I love the the spice of the player that Dale Talon gave away for nothing, for no reason, for no good on-ice reason. He's the one thriving and making them pay. I, I love that, that it has to feel even better for March so, so good for him. So... I am going to also marry our short king, Jonathan Odie Marcheseau, just because I love the narrative and I saw him play his first ever NHL game and I have loved him for forever. And I just, I love the story and I do think he's contributing um, in massive ways. And I just, I just think he's adorable and it's, it's fun and um, I'm here for it. And just to be a little different too, I'm going to fuck Aiden Hill because well, he hasn't played the whole playoffs and all of this and all of that kind of stuff. I actually like that too. I like that, you know, to show the preparedness and to show the, honestly, the mental readiness to be able to say, I can come in and make this statement and be on the biggest stage and do it really well. So I'm going to do that. And so therefore, unfortunately, and also to invoke one of the best memes ever, which is the sad, angry Jack Eichel chin to his chest face. I'm going to have to kill Jack Eichel. So that's where we are uh, with our fuck my kill. My two co-hosts are not impressed with my my process of elimination. There, I can tell by their faces, it's, but it's good. It's, but I, just I get think it. it's a, how we are we are biased, and that's okay. Yeah, <laughs> it's it's a tough one though. It honestly is a it tough is. one, and it's like I feel like there's trade offs for each one. Like if they like if Eichel won the con smite, that's like I feel like March or so is going to be the second person to be handed the cup. And if Aiden Hill doesn't win it, I think he's going to get a nice contract anyway. So you know, everybody's a winner. I just as, think as it's hilarious like it. that the discourse before this round was just, was it going to be Kachuk or Bobrovsky? Yeah, exactly. Great yeah. point. So we'll see what we have to talk about next time we come to you. There will be at least two more games in this round and two will have been played by the next time we have an episode in your ears. So until then, let us know your thoughts. Sound off to us on social media at two underscore much underscore man on both Instagram and Twitter. You can also be connected to us if you have some Too Many Men merch, which you can buy at TooManyMenMerch.com. Notebooks, watch bands, hats, sweatshirts, t-shirts, mugs, wine glasses, beer glasses, all kinds of things are there for you. And we should also mention, please do search out and look for our LGBTQIA plus merch, which is across all different genres of products, which we have available for you all year round because... We celebrate our LGBTQIA brothers and sisters and non-binary friends every day of every year. And until we talk again, please do something, no matter how big or small, to make sure that hockey is truly for everyone. We will talk to you soon. Love you. Bye. <laughs>